Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. Yeah, you guys, today is a fun topic. We're talking about church. So for some of you, that word is actually slightly maybe damaging even, or boring, or irrelevant. And for the others of this, this has been life-giving and hope-filled. Um, even the small people in this room, we have home churches scattered around the city that have different examples of what this looks like. Each one of our home crews looks slightly different than the other ones. And, uh, and that's what the hope is you know, where we come together and celebrate. I think, but at the heart of everything when we say that word is, uh, I think, the steadfast love of Jesus. Like, at the heart of all the chaos of life, church is supposed to be a refuge where we go to and we get to lock arms with friends around us and experience the steadfast love of Jesus that never quits. It's a refuge where you go when things are in chaos and you don't know where to turn. And when knowledge seems to be failing me, I turn to this church, to Jesus. I turn to you and I sit with you, Lord. And I trust that you will bring hope and direction to me. I think that's, uh, I wrote that in, in this morning and I'm like, oh, I think that's the hope. Whatever you guys hear today, I think that's the hope. It's a place we run to when chaos is spinning when our knowledge is failing us, and we say, yes, Jesus, let me not be alone. Let me not isolate. Let me not pretend that I'm strong enough to make it through whatever thing is spinning right now. And Dave's going to lead us. Most of us know Dave. Um, but he's going to lead us with five other people in our community, really just saying, hey, what is church to us? And how is it centered on this thing of the refuge of Jesus? So, Dave... All right, friends. Well, Matt gave the preview there. Uh, to kick off the first half of this teaching, actually, I'm going to have five friends who have been conveniently plugged in the audience to come up. Our friend Jonathan Matice is going to kick us off. But really simply, um, the question today of what is church and then the follow-up kind of where we're taking this is how do we think about church and how are we as the body of Christ invited to be master builders? How are we invited along with in the history of the disciples in the line of the Pauline epistles? How are we invited to also take part in being master builders? So uh, let's see, here's the question. So this is the prompt I gave to five randomly selected audience members. Uh, this week to think about, and they're going to come up one at a time and share a little story, a little reflection, maybe a little mini teaching, answering this question. So, Mr. Matthijs, you want to kick us off? Let's give him a round of applause. And I'll just say a quick prayer, because uh, again, we're going to have six people sharing, so I'm just going to pray that the Lord will bring some unity and clarity to what we're all sharing that we prepped independently. So, Father, we pray over Jonathan and, and our other friends who are going to share, and we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd be speaking through us today, that you would help us fall just a little bit more in love with your church and give us some revelation today. Amen. All right.
right, good morning, everyone. Wow, as we were in time of worship here, I was just thinking about where would I, where would I be without the support and love of this guys group that, that I'm a part of on a weekly basis. And it has become so, so, so valuable, so valuable to me. Um, and it is, it's ultimately around the central character. We're going to be going through a book called How to Hear God coming up. And I cheated Matt Holst. <laughs> I started reading ahead. Um, it's about how we can focus in on the central character of Jesus, his steadfast love for us. And it is going to be incredible. I'm looking forward much more so on how to hear. Um, I'm looking forward on how to hear God. Who is this character? What does he, what does he have to say to us now? Um, really, really, really looking forward to it. I do want to talk just a little bit about um, about Guy's group and what a refuge this group has been has been to me there's there's safety created in this group there's support that's that's created in this group and it's safe for for us guys to really think through spiritual matters it, we're we're able to wrestle in this group we're able to challenge each other in this group and ultimately we're able to really think through what our spiritual journey in God and Christ looks like and how it realistically plays out. So one of the books that we most recently read was this one here. It's called The Common Rule, Habits for Purpose in an Age of Distraction. One of the things that has really been meaningful to me in reading this book has been really getting back into scripture. So I've been reading through Psalms and Proverbs, well, starting with Proverbs and then going into Psalms, and that's what, that's what I'm reading, um, steadfast, unfailing love um, from, this, from this character. So what, what you see here actually on the, on the front of this book is something that, that I've really worked towards kind of incorporating into my life. We've got a calendar with a trellis on it. And really, I've been asking myself this question, how do I really structure my life to, to, oh boy, let's see here, let's do a little dance. <laughs> it's a delicate situation. <laughs> um, so how do we, uh, how do we structure our lives to, to really be mindful of God, God's purposes and what we ultimately want to curate into our lives? So Common Rule has been, has been a great, it's been a great read and there have been some lasting changes that go beyond, that go beyond the book. Um, so those practices that we're, that we're learning in this book have continued to this day, even though we're, we're done with the book. This, what we're learning and what we're doing in these groups, are, it's something that's more lasting. So I wanted to leave us with that. Also, Garden City. Um, I don't know if any of you have worked through how to integrate your purpose and life work balance, but this book has really been about 
how do we um, how do we balance it out? How do we find our, our purpose in, in what we do, and how does that relate with with God's purposes in the world? So. Um, it's been wonderful being a part of this group. I look forward to it on a weekly basis, and I just feel very, very grateful for the time spent with these guys. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, I think Michael and Allie are up next. And if you're wondering why they're just jumping into sharing, you're like, what is, right? It'll make sense, okay? I have a master plan, but uh, here, guys. I'm Michael. This is Allie. This is Frankie. <laughs> we have two more in the back. Um, yeah, we're friends of Karam, and increasing in friendship. There's a lot more we could say, but we're not going to do that now. Um, just thinking about church and what it's meant, I've been thinking a lot about uh, house church, micro church, in the home, that size thing. And I feel like I had an answer, but then the Lord's just kind of been convicting to pivot it slightly of just like, honestly, it's the hardest form of church for me. Uh, and we haven't shared with each other what we're each going to say, so maybe <laughs> she'll say the exact same thing. Um, but it's, it's been the most difficult piece of church in every structure, whether it's something like this and what Karam communities are doing and what we're doing, or it's churches you know it with a large gathering every single week and you have small groups and all that stuff. And I think it's just been really incredibly formative through difficulty of showing up with the same people, trying to understand what are we even doing here? Why are we here? Um, are people here just because we have food at our table? Nobody washes the dishes. Um, they just trash our house every week. <laughs> We've worked on that as a family. If you're a family and you eat together, you wash dishes together now. So that's different. But I've just been thinking a lot about that, of just like, it's the mess. It's, it's really the mess. Um, a couple of close friends is, is sweet and intimate, and then like a larger gathering is... You can show up as much as you want to, uh, but in the home, it's like, good luck hiding yourself. Um, good luck hiding your stuff. Um, and it's just been incredibly formative to learn faithfulness, uh, honesty, vulnerability. Um, and it's been incredibly formative for our family of of illuminating a lot of the, the veneer uh, and how it's, there's a lot of fake over top of what's real. And, um, and it's just been really, really good for like a decade, but really, really, really hard. More reallys on the hard. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's been the space that we can uh, practice uh, being in relationship with the body of Christ and being one as one body and, um, and even growing in intentionality instead of it being like we've had spaces where we've curated like, hey, we're going to eat together every week. And sometimes that's literally the only thing we do. And then I think people only show up because there's food because then as soon as we've pivoted, it's like, I've got to go early. Um, I'm, I'm not here for the Bible portion or the communal piece, but just the food. And that's okay. 
And then we've had times where we've overstructured it and it, it just, just squashes out any opportunity for relationship with one another and with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, and it just becomes too programmatic. And so that's one of the things that has put um, life into it is realizing it's, it's both and in that and it's, it's joy and it's challenge, pain sometimes. <laughs> Um, but it's been, it's just a sweet journey to actually say, no, we're going to do this. And we host so often that it's like, I guess we're doing this no matter what, because people will be knocking on the door any minute now. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's been such a formative piece of actually like following Jesus and, and experiencing this is church. Like this is the church right here. Um, yeah, even if it's incredibly dysfunctional, like my actual family at times um yeah want to trade um let's i want to keep it let's try it um i was gonna say a similar thing yeah uh the word that i had in my mind was mess and just in how being in a living room sometimes approaching church in a more simplistic way you can't hide the mess of life and just the grace that I feel like we've gotten to experience from God and each other in learning how to be bumpy and ourselves and um, yeah, just figure things out as we go as human beings and um, yeah, not be able to hide or run away from the mess of life. It's been really, really good. It's been hard, like Michael was saying, of course, but it's been really good. And something that's come from that that has been really cool is church can be a place where you can let your creative juices like flow. And I had not experienced that beforehand. And I'm a very creative person. And so uh, it, it used to be like church was not necessarily a realm of life that creativity got to be expressed. And so it's cool how in the mess of things and just embracing like, okay, we're all different. We're all human. We need Jesus to be the one who is perfect for us. Creativity comes out of that because there's freedom. And so, yeah, getting to just realize, wow, God, you are creative. Like not everything has to be rigid and black and white. Like how do we engage with our neighbors? How do we engage with these other angsty creative friends that we have? (laughs) Uh, it's not going to be necessarily what we've seen in the past or what we've done in the past. And so we need you, God, to show us how that is going to be. And it's been more creative than I expected. And I love that. It's very cool to see that God can be fun and surprise you. Thanks, guys. Caitlin, do you come share? Yes, um, I'm going to highlight more of the like gathering part of church that's been significant. I could speak to a lot of different parts, but felt to hit on more of the larger space. And the theme, I'll be like Matt, give you the theme before I tell the story. The, the value um, that I have for larger group spaces is that I feel like it shifts me from the space that I have with God in my quiet time or even in my most like intimate relationships. And it plugs me back into a larger 
group and a larger story that I'm a part of. And I grew up in the church and I'm just a crier in worship. I remember being really little, uh, singing really basic worship songs and I would just cry. And so I think there's something about the way God made me that I really connect with him in larger group spaces in worship. Um, but one story I wanted to tell y'all today is I was in a larger space, quite a bit bigger than this. It was maybe like 150, 200 people. And we were uh, listening to a guy teach. And this person was known for hearing God's voice in a really like, clear and specific way. And at one point he stops teaching and he's like, I feel like I have a word for a Dave and a Katie. Does anyone in the room, does that resonate with anyone? So Dave and I stand up and we're like, we're married. We're actually on opposite sides of the room. For some reason, we weren't sitting by each other. Um, like, I'm Katie, this is Dave. And he goes, Katie, I feel like I have a word for you that um, I see you on a pile of blankets and you're really little, you're on a pile of blankets and it was there on that pile of blankets that God established this hope center in you and it's not gonna be shaken no matter what you go through. You're gonna have this center of hope that's not gonna be shaken. And I'm sitting there and he doesn't know me, obviously, we have no background and he doesn't know this, but when I was nine and I was first given my free Bible with my name engraved on the cover uh, from my small Baptist church, um, the song, like in the secret, in the quiet place, in stillness, you are there. 90s Christian worship. That song was my favorite. And so I knew when I got my Bible, I needed to find my secret quiet place to be with God in the stillness that he was going to be there. So I took my Bible to the back of my closet where there was a stack of blankets and I would have a little flashlight. And I'm nine years old reading the Bible with a flashlight on a pile of blankets in the back of my closet. Fast forward, I'm 23 years old and this guy's telling me, hey, it was on that pile of blankets that God established this center of hope in you that will not be shaken. And it was one of those moments, um, kind of like the song that we were singing this morning, like I can't go back from that moment. And I was in this large group of people and God felt so big to me in that moment and so personal, like somehow he saw me for some reason on that day, he wanted to call me out and tell a part of my story in this large group of people. And it marked me forever. So literally, I, I can't go back from believing God's real, that God speaks to people in crazy ways, and it's just marked me. And it, I think it was significant that it happened in a big group of people, too, for some reason, that if he would have pulled me aside in the hallway, it would have been significant. But I think something about being called out in a room full of my friends and strangers and being so seen has really changed the way that, um, yeah, I'm marked forever by that moment. And then fast forward to today, I think that's why I'm, I love um, corporate worship spaces. And then I think there's also this gift that starts to happen when we worship together, that um, the person that enjoys hospitality can prepare the food, the person that leads the worship can lead the worship, the one that wants to pray or give hope or faith. Um, when we're all gathered, we get to share those gifts, and so I really value that space, and it's been formative for me as well. Mr. Beal. 
Hey guys, I'm John. Um, <clears throat> let's see, where do I want to start? So Dave asked me to talk on uh, like location work, what we no, do. No, John, I gave you that prompt. That's all I told you. <laughs> well, two stories, but um, yeah, what, how we spend basically you know 40 hours a week um, in, in our lives, um, and so you know as I was kind of thinking about like. It's a very broad thing. I feel like there's lots of different things I could pull out of that. Um, I, I was reminded of a time like five or six years ago. We were at this small house in Denver called Franklin um, on Franklin Street. And Dave asked me to share why I follow Jesus like more generally. And I was talking about the fact that he redeems. He's our redeemer. And so, you know, I, I was thinking about that. And I think that is the core of why I do what I do and why I think is the heartbeat behind how we want to spend 40 hours of our of our week is because we want to see redemption in in the spaces and the places and the people that we um, <clears throat> that we see on a weekly basis uh, so yeah and this was like very it became real to me when um, I moved here and then I was hanging out with Matt and Dave for a while and um, they said, hey, we got this kid who needs help. Uh, he's pulled out of school, and we're looking for a trusted guy to teach him eighth grade. Um, and I said, okay, I'll do it. Um, so I quit one of my jobs and um, came on board. And I remember we sat down with the parents, and the parents, the dad specifically kind of looked at me and was very skeptical and was like, I mean, do you have any teaching experience? Like, and I was like, no. <laughs> but I'm a nice guy, and he's like, okay, I guess we'll do this. So he kind of reluctantly did it because the mom was very, and they had a separated family, and there's a lot of trauma going on within the family, but, you know, they made Matt kind of tag along for the first while to make sure I knew what I was doing. But, like, we got off to speed, and, um, yeah, I started really building a relationship with this kid, Luke, and... Um, yeah, you know, kind of naturally over time he became a friend and he became someone who I just naturally started praying for and thinking about and um, wanting, like, change in his life and wanting, like, things to happen for him and, and a future for him. Um, and I think the Lord was just pressing it on to me that this was, like, an opportunity for him to move through what I'm doing. Um, so, yeah, fast forward, you know, through the whole school year, um, and okay, I'm gonna do it. Okay, so anyways, we pull up to you know the school year ends, and uh, Luke was climbing with me all year. And anyways, his dad needed to pick up his climbing stuff. He always left it with me, and uh, the dad kind of this is the same dad who kind of was very skeptical at the beginning, and he 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 drops off or I hand him the stuff, and I say hi to Luke and. Uh, Kenzie, my wife, wanted to meet Luke. He never met him. And, yeah, we're, like, saying bye and walking away. And then the, the dad kind of calls out to Kenzie. He's like, hey, you know, your wife, <laughs> sorry, hey, Kenzie, you know, your husband's a life changer. And uh, we just kind of walked inside, said thank you. And then, like, Kenzie and I just kind of broke down. Was, um, it was, like, a long year of lots of trials. And, <clears throat> yeah, I just felt the Lord kind of move in that, it, it, you know, changed, 
trajectory of how I work and what I do. Um, because, yeah, I wanna see redemption. And for me, it looks like redemption in kids and uh, confidence and, you know, I wanna see kids' lives um, blossom and see them become who they wanna be. Um, but yeah, I just think that in general, like we're all called to redemption in, in, these, in, in this amount of time that we're given. Um, and I think so much of work is just gray, you know? Um, you know, it's not very spiritual, but it's definitely not like evil. It just kind of sits in the middle. Um, so I think we're just called to step into that gray and be patient and steady uh, in a non-anxious present to the people around us and the things we work on. And um, yeah, I think God is just like proud of us when we're just with people. And we are, we are patient and, and available for them um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, let's see. I think that's all I got. Yes, it is. All right. But well, thank you, guys. Thanks, Jono. Got me. Uh, Doug. Doug's going to close us out. Okay, my uh, testimony is about the body of Christ, so uh, I take, take your attention to Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body, <clears throat> one spirit, as you have been also called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in us all. What's interesting to me in this passage, it doesn't say one church or one vision. And uh, I think the reason is, is because there's many churches, and even within Chrome, what I understand in the communities that meet, there could be a different vision for that community, for that house church. So what, where the fun begins is we are members of the body by our salvation. So when we receive Christ, uh, turn our sins over to God, believe Christ resurrected from the dead, we are now members of the body. That's permanent. So a church may go away, or we may leave the church or whatever, but we never leave the body of Christ. That's permanent. We are members one of another in that body. The church may go bankrupt, but the body never goes bankrupt. So the fun begins as we as the members of the body of Christ, well, the fun begins is then we go to the Lord according to our gifting and calling to determine what church to be part of, what community to be part of. That's where the Lord begins to use us in the body of Christ, in that expression of the body of Christ. The church is an expression of the body of Christ. Now, I think where the Roman Catholic miss it on their doctrine is they go by apostolic succession because Christ asked Peter, we first asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, Elijah, a prophet, and then Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, the Father's revealed to you, and on this, the rock, I will build my church. What's the rock? The rock's Christ, but it's also the revelation that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. That's our common denominator. That's the basis for everything. 
is Christ is the Son of the living God. Once we see that and declare that we're part of the body, then uh, Paul said in Corinthians, God has placed the members in the body as it pleases him. So we're placed by God in the body, then it's our responsibility to see where do we involve ourselves in what church or what community and begin to function there according to our gifting and calling. Then I'll end with this as uh, members of the body of three people I did meet with in their church, because they're past, I read it in the books, the first one was C.T. Studd. See, he's a famous cricket player in the 1880s in England. He was at the top of his career, he dropped it, and became a missionary in Africa. So I'm reading his book uh, in my senior year in high school, and the thing that stuck out to me in his book was, I don't want a mission within the sound of a church or chapel bell, I want a mission within a yard of hell. That really inspired me to witness to my uh, senior classmates. And during that year, some kids got saved, and there was an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. That's a member. He's a member of the body of Christ. But I didn't meet with him in the church. The other one that inspires me is Watchman Nee, who raised up home churches in China until the Red Chinese took over, and the communists put him in prison for 22 years, and he died of a martyr there. But in one of his writings, he said it was never intended that the church primarily be a pulpit-pew relationship, but a relationship like we're doing. And in Acts, in Acts, they just they met in the meal. They had a meal together, and it was a fellowship relationship back and forth. Well, when I saw that, it just changed my whole view of church. And the other one that had a, a big effect on me was Dr. Vernon Grounds. I needed some counseling. Well, he started Conservative Baptist Seminary, which is at South University in Hampton, and uh, eventually became Denver Seminary. But anyway, so he could raise up leaders, pastors, for message-based churches. So he wanted to know what my view of the church was, so I wrote this paper on home churches. And when he read it, he said, Doug, that's you, don't leave it. And it, it was such an inspiration to me that he would build the church on this end of things, I would build the church over here. Yet, our common denominator is we're in the same body, under the same headship of Christ, and he was just a gracious, gracious person that could recognize what Christ was doing in me. And it was a big encouragement and a big help. Wow, that went better than I even thought. All right, good job, guys. <laughs> um, can't believe that. Well, hopefully you'll see my architecting here. This will get clearer as we go on. Maybe it's already clear. I'm going to open with a passage here from 1 Corinthians, and then I'll wrap it up and circle back to these same words from Paul. 1 Corinthians 3, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. We can sit, that's a deep metaphorical passage, I know. But then to the end here, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And a few quick comments on this, and then I'm going to kind of present us with a framework that I think was just illustrated through the five stories that were shared. The first obvious one for us in this room, I think we've all been at this game long enough to know that the church is a people. It's a network of relationships like Doug's referring to. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's certainly not a brand. When Paul writes letters to churches, he doesn't write them and have a noun in front of them, right? He writes to the church of Corinth. He writes to the church in a geographical region, not a brand or a denomination. I think we're all on the same page there. Also may be obvious and came up in every story that was shared, but it should be said that the common foundation, the head of the body is Jesus. And more subtly here, maybe not so subtle, Paul, maybe it almost comes off arrogant, Paul sees himself as a wise builder of this church. What is he building this thing with? People, relationships. These are the living stones of which Jesus is the cornerstone. And sometimes I think it's funny. I mean, we've been doing church, trying to pioneer, experiment with church, do this stuff for almost seven years now. And it strikes me, this is kind of a tangent aside, but many things in life we acknowledge take time to get good at. Like if, I don't know, if I wanted to learn the violin, which would be an impossible task for me, but if I wanted to, that would probably take a decade of hard work to learn the subtlety and skill and muscle memory that would be required to play something that sounds anything remotely close to music, right? And yet somehow when we go into the spectrum and area of ministry in church, we just think we can read our Bible and go do it and it should just work. It should just sound like music. I mean, so, I mean, that almost sounds arrogant, Paul calling himself a wise builder, but from the moment Paul met Jesus on that road to Damascus, to the moment he's writing this letter, it's been almost 30 years of him practicing. Do you know, he met Jesus on that road, and he went back home, and it took him three years before he even went and talked to Peter and hung out with him for two weeks. And then he went back again, and it was in Galatians, we learned 14 years later that he went to Jerusalem. 17 years from Paul meeting Jesus to we meet Paul in his first missionary journey. And then it's another 10 years till he's writing this letter to Corinth in AD 57. 27 years of practicing. And so he's not being arrogant. He's earned the right to say, I am a wise builder of this thing called the family of God. And Matt, Matt always says it this way. That is the invitation of discipleship, to become wise builders. That's the invitation for everyone in this room, that when we're old and gray, 75 years old, that we would be wise builders. Matt calls it spiritual parents. And with Paul's description of himself as a wise builder, it leaves open the implied assumption here that you could be an unwise builder, or you could just not even build, right? And so that's the charge. I mean, if in this month, every year, as we come back to the vision and values of Karam, and what I'm about to present us is 
I'm trying to help all of us better understand the nature of the church so that we can be builders. So here it is. Maybe you already, maybe you're really quick and you caught it. This is a model. Um, for those that have taken the 101, there's a handful of these mo theological models that we present. There's one called the three orthos, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, um, orthopathos. But it's a lens and a way of thinking about the church based on values and expressions so that we may love it more holistically like Doug was kind of expressing to us there at the end. But this is a, this is a model I want to suggest to you guys. Jesus is our foundation. He's the head of the body. The church, the leaders of a church, the organized part of what we normally think of as a church is meant to focus on two things, prayer and training. Prayer, spending time making ourselves open and available to the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And then training, that is what Paul calls equipping the saints. And then all of us in the body are those saints. And what are we equipped for? To do good works. And that happens in five different expressions. And these are almost sociological, like these are just the parameters of how relationships work. And then I'll give us, as we go through them one by one, I'll give us some anchor points from like a story in scripture to help it land. So the first smallest form of church is the relational level. These are the twos and threes, twos and fives. Don't get too hung up on the numbers. They're just kind of placeholders. You'll kind of get the idea as we go. You have the familial level, the expression of a church in the realm of 12 to 25. Congregational, this is what most people in America call church, and I won't do it, but you all can imagine. Can you imagine with me? This is what most Americans think of as church. Just this middle expression, that, that's a church. It's a building, it's a program, it's a place where you come have a professional Christian who's gone to seminary teach you about the Bible, right? That sounded kind of cynical. We love that part of church, but it's definitely not the only one. Movemental, we could also call this developmental or vocational. And then the church universal. And if you take a second to think back on the five stories you just heard, all five of them highlighted the power of Christ's body at each of these levels in order. What if we actually believed that with equal validity, every one of those stories is God's church? How do I can tell you this. The reason John Beale stands up here and starts crying about his job tutoring a kid is because he believes this. He wakes up every day, and like he said, some days it feels really great. It might even feel a little toilsome. But at its deepest core, he believes that when he shows up places... In our city, in our community, he is the body of Christ. It's church. It's not just this. So let's go through them quickly here. The scripture, the anchor point, we could say here, this is the classic Jesus line, for wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. We can think of Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, that's a group of four, so it breaks the two or three rule, but again, the numbers are not that important. Think about it really simply. This will help you remember a discipleship group. Jonathan Matice shared about a men's group with five guys that he's in and how that's transforming his life, making him a better man, better person, more like Jesus. 
the relational part of church fits in a car. You can fit it in a car. If it doesn't fit in a car, you're starting to expand to a level where you can't have that same level of depth and intimacy and vulnerability and mutuality and confession and challenge and love. I think in some ways this is the most important. If we lack this, our formation will be stunted. Our maturity, becoming people of love will not happen. Familial. So the scripture here, you know, it's obscure, but Luke 8 verse 1 says the 12 were with him and also some women. So we can estimate that there were around 20 people following Jesus around during those three years of ministry. It was a little house church. It was a small group. It was a short-term missionary team. Whatever, missional community, small group. <laughs> it probably didn't really feel like a small group, but So a community of friends who gather in a home and share a meal and try to answer these questions of what is church, what are we even doing? Nothing will pop our idealism and romanticism about ourselves and about our theological aptitude, like getting in a room with some people and going, uh, what are we actually doing here? <laughs> in the same way that if I was this amazing violin player and every week you guys gathered here and you watched me play violin for an hour, at the end of your life, you would be no better at violin. We only learn and grow. We only become master builders if we participate and try to play. And it will take years for us to get good. Fits in a house, can't fit it in a car, maybe five cars, maybe three cars, but you can't, maybe a bus, you can fit it in a bus. The familial level of church, it offers a degree more of diversity. You know, you have maybe mixed generations, you have men and women, you have a diversity of gifts, so it's a bit more eclectic and diverse, and it reminds us and embodies for us the reality that the gospel message is about adoption into a family. It makes the gospel tangible and real. Congregational. In those days, Peter stood among the believers, a group of about 120 examples. Sunday morning gathering, what we're doing right now, it fits in a building. And this is a really great space, like Katie highlighted, for a diversity of personalities and the gifts of the Spirit to be present in one room. It has a place. You're probably not going to know everyone in that room, but you'll still feel somewhat known, especially as you commit to that group of people. And it's really interesting, in, in sociology, there's a number called Dunbar's number. It's 150 people. It is, in research, the maximum number of close relationships a human can actually realistically hold, like mentally, emotionally. Once you go beyond 150, it changes into a whole different thing. Your brain has to categorize those attachments and those relationships in a different way. It's a little interesting that in that upper room after Jesus dies, there's about a hundred, just shy of 150 people sitting there. Isn't it interesting that that's all Jesus needed to start a movement that would change the world? The movemental, the vocational, the developmental, I don't know if you guys have any ideas on a better word, let me know. But the scripture here is, those accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Those 3,000 people in Acts 2 did not know each other. They were not part of the same church. They were actually part of the Jewish diaspora community who had gathered there for a Jewish festival and holiday. And they heard that message, and it was powerful and impactful. 
And I guarantee most of them scattered back in small groups of families and cousins and people from the same town, maybe familial level sized groups of 12 to 25, scattered back to where they came from. And there is a part of the church that shows up in these places, these stadium gatherings or the humdrum of a nine to five, 40 hour a week job, right? And this dimension of the church does not fit in a car or a house or a building, it fits in a city. It fits in a region of land. It fits in a polis, as Paul would call it. And the last one that Friar Doug shared with us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the book of Revelation talks about a multitude so large they can't even be numbered. This is the reality that, like Doug said, when we come to Christ, we are a part of a body, and we could change churches, we could change brands, we could change pastors, we could change whatever, however we define church. Fundamentally, to be the church is to be a part of Christ's body. And that goes, I loved even the stories he's sharing of how he shared in church, he was transformed by church through the reading of some books by dead people. That's church. He's learning from the saints who have gone before. Do we see ourselves, do we see the little expressions of the other four fingers that we're doing as a part of something bigger? It's funny, even in the last couple of years, there have been a handful of things we've done where like we've had events or trainings or different things and we'll have like some pastors or staff or people from other churches at these things and then people will show up and be like, oh, what are you doing here? And there's this kind of enculturated thing in America where we're like, you're breaking a rule. You can't share churches. And it's like, what are you talking about? We're all the church. Why could we not, why could we not like do leadership development training with other churches in our city and be one body? This one only fits in the new heavens and the new earth. It's a little cheesy and Bible nerdy, but it's kind of fun to think about. Doesn't fit in a car, that's for sure. Okay, I'm going to wrap us up. Um, I didn't look at any of my notes. Hopefully I said what I wanted to. So I'm going to close with a few summary thoughts. I'll read some of these, and I want to uh, go back to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3. So I think any healthy church, regardless of the specific model or structure, is trying to train and equip and empower people to represent Jesus in all five of these. I've never met someone planting a church, leading a church, leading a I've never met someone who doesn't have a value for all five of these and doesn't acknowledge that they're essential parts and expressions of the church. I think personally this language can be really helpful for all of us in reflecting going, you know, prayerfully crafting, like Jonathan talked about, a rule of life. Like, Lord, am I, am I participating in the coming of the kingdom of God in all five of these aspects of my life? Do I view my work this way? Do I view myself as maybe needing to learn from people in a different part of the body, people who think differently than me, a different denomination, a different culture, a different place in history? And I think for us at Karam, I think it's helpful language, I think, to unpack why and how we do things. I mean, there's a lot of reasons we don't gather every Sunday. One of them being resources and time and money or 
I mean, someone who wants to do all the organization to do that. But another reason is because we are trying to de-emphasize that middle finger to give more wiggle room and breathing room in our daily, weekly lives for the other four. So by not expecting everyone to come gather at one of these every week, logically it follows you should have two to four hours of extra time in your week to engage the kingdom of God coming in those other four fingers. So we are intentionally pulling back the middle finger to try and push us all to engage in our other four fingers, especially those lower two. I would say in and out of any given season, it is really healthy. For us, we'd say the primary organizing structure of church is not the middle finger, but that ring finger. So that is the space we should be showing up vulnerably week in, week out. Let's see. And fundamentally, even what Matt and I and the other coordinators see ourselves doing is helping facilitate prayer and training for all of the community so that we can go and participate in those other five things. That's why we're doing September month of prayer, because we're convinced that if you guys will spend, if all of us will spend some hours in prayer with Jesus in the month of September, he might whisper, us to, whisper to us some things about his mission in the other four fingers. And I'll end, I'll end with reading this from Paul. And this is kind of our closing charge. And then we'll pick up on, we'll use some of this language as Matt and I lead us through our annual meeting at the end of September. I want to read actually the first part of 1 Corinthians 3. So I'm kind of leapfrogging backwards. We read verse 10 through 16, and I want to read chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy, quarreling, are you not acting worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? I love that, that for Paul, once the Spirit's in us, we're no longer mere humans. It's kind of cool. For when, for when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Paulos, are you not acting as mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, just like Doug's talking about. And I find it really, this is just more amusing, and I don't have hard evidence of this, but I find it really interesting, almost like a little experiment, that as we have refused to gather weekly as a church, the people sitting in this room and the other people part of our community, the depth of maturity and leadership potential in the room. I'm like, isn't that interesting that Paul's highlighting some of the things, what does it look like to be immature or not have the spirit? It looks like quarreling, bickering, and following after a leader who you think is gonna solve everything for you. And in American culture, I think, by de-emphasizing that middle finger, a platform and a place where most people can come and just follow kind of a demagogue, right? Like the charismatic leader, the CEO leader. But by removing that, the people who have showed up to this community, I look out and I'd say the opposite of Paul. I would say, brothers and sisters, those who are filled with the spirit, you're ready for solid food. 
And we're never going to program it or push it. And I think many of us in the room have leadership experience, have the gifting and ability to lead out in some of these aspects of Christ's body. And we just maybe have needed time to heal, time to recover, time to restore hope in our hearts and believe again that the gospel is good news and that the church is the only plan for the kingdom coming. And I think I'll close kind of the, the challenge as we come to this month of annual reflection is if Karam disappeared tomorrow, if the website disappeared, if I stopped sending emails, <laughs> I don't know what else is, what would you do? <laughs> and I don't mean that in a pressured way, I just mean genuinely like, how are we showing up? How are we, like Paul, becoming wise builders? And the story that will forever, I think, define for me what the goal is of Karamdeo is Matt sitting with that old lady in rural Iowa, shared this message on discipleship. And she comes up after and goes, oh, discipleship. I could never do that. I could never do that. Because she was, she's a beautiful woman. She probably is living the kingdom of God in more ways than she even realizes or knows. But our longing and dream is what if we had 120 friends who when we're all 75, we could like Paul sit there and go, we are wise builders. We know the gospel to the depths of our hearts. We've let it so transform us that our, our homes, our friendships, our jobs, every facet of our lives exudes the beauty and the grace of the kingdom of God. Not through pressure or performance or some veneer like Michael and Ali are talking about, but because we've so allowed the truth of the gospel message to permeate every part of our lives that it just exudes out of us. And so if a website disappears and an email goes away, it doesn't matter, like, like Doug's saying, because we are on a trajectory of becoming like Paul Wise Builders of his church, the family of God, spiritual parents, as Matt would say. And that will be the invitation again and again and again, year in, year out, to become wise builders. So, if Karam disappeared tomorrow, what would you do? What would you be building? Where and how is God calling you to help build his church within that? And we are over time. I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Thank you guys for sticking with us. If you have kids, you might want to sneak out um, and go collect them. But yeah, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking as we go into the month of September and we consecrate this time and space in our schedules, our calendars, our lives to sit with you in prayer. Yeah, as a sent spirit, the sent missionary God, I just ask that you would be stirring in our hearts. Where are you wanting to raise us up and challenge us and call us to take risk and build your church through our lives to participate in your story? And we just come with humility, Lord, with surrender afresh, and we just invite you to speak. And like Doug said over and over, Lord, would you teach us the fun of just following you and letting our lives become expressions of your body, your church. 
We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.